0: Now, we know that the image of God is still there because God says so. After the fall, in Genesis 9, verse 6, he says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God made he man. So, when a baby comes into the world today, you can say that that baby, in the wider sense has the image of God, even though it is already stained by sin and in ruins, it has the image of God stamped upon it. It has intellectual capacity, moral capacity, and spiritual capacity, even though those capacities are very little developed. And even though they are already fundamentally stained by sin. Now, all of this tells us that we are to value human life, the sanctity of human life, above animal life. Animals are valuable too. In fact, every dead animal that we see on the highway, boys and girls, when you go on a trip with your mom and dad, every dead animal you see should remind you of our deep fallen Adam, that we have brought sin and we have brought death into the world. But it is not right when people try to save an animal or two at the expense of the lives of humans. It's so ironic, isn't it, that the very same people who tried to save go to lengths of millions of dollars to save a few kinds of owls out in the western coast of the United States, are the very people who say, go ahead and have an abortion and and kill the fruit of your womb. doesn't make sense. Man is particularly and specially created after the very image of God. And so we have tremendous dignity in our creation. Dignity in relation to the animals, but also dignity in relationship To our God. In fact, when when it comes down to the very essence of our creation. The very essence of the image of God. The image of God, as the old theologians used to say, in the narrow sense of the word. In the sense in which it's totally destroyed in our fall. Totally destroyed. In that sense, we can say the image of God is this moral glory of God. In his communicable attributes. In his communicable attributes. Particularly as Paul tells us in Colossians 3.10 and Ephesians 4 verse 24. Those are the two classic texts. You can look them up and study them later. Colossians 3.10, Ephesians 4.24. Paul tells us that we were made after God's communicable attributes of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And so we were created... As glorious, dignified prophets who rightly knew God, that was a right knowledge that we possessed, who rightly knew ourselves and rightly knew our creation. We rightly knew everything. Prefall, we had a right love for God, we had a right joy, we had a right delight in the things of God. But we also were created as priests of righteousness. We lived rightly. There was no hypocrisy, no corruption, no flaws. We lived righteously, even down to our thoughts, pre-fall, in Adam. And we were, of course, kings and queens in holiness, serving God with our whole life. Adam and Eve, before the fall, served God with their whole being. Their whole life was sacred in the service of the Most High. They had no trouble with Luke There's no trouble with ups and downs, no trouble in their spiritual pilgrimage. They lived holy in the sight of God. That's the way we were created. Living in immediate communion with God. Now we need to emphasize that being in God's image does not mean being God. We were not God, but we were stamped with the image of God. We were to reflect God. So we were not to be creatively constructive, as if we would make our own world and go in our own direction, but we were to be reconstructive. That is, to do back to God what God commanded us to do. To reflect God in everything. To think God's thoughts after Him. That's the purpose of our creation. It's still the purpose of our creation. That purpose doesn't change. As long as we are not thinking God's thoughts after Him, as long as we are not living reconstructively, returning back to God, seeking His glory, we are missing the purpose for which we were created and put on this earth. The dignified, glorious purpose of our creation. But that is precisely what we have lost in the fall. We have lost that purpose. We became self-centered instead of God-centered. And our only hope, friends, is that God comes in the new recreation to restore us what sin has robbed of us, and that is the true image of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Second Corinthians 3, verse 18, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what is the Holy Spirit doing in spiritual life? He is not just regenerating us, that's the beginning. He makes us to be born again. But then, He changes us from image to image. He perfects in us, in other words, gradually, the moral glory of God until the very last day when He will usher us into the presence of God, and we shall be like Him, and we shall see Him as He is. So John says in 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, it's the last day, we shall be like Him, or we shall see Him as He is. So what is spiritual life? In spiritual life, the Holy Spirit comes and he plants the seed of regeneration in the soul. the new birth. And at that moment, definitively and principally, I am recreated in the image of God. In my state before God. If I were to die a minute later, I would be saved. Even though I knew very little of spiritual life. But in my condition, the Holy Spirit must gradually, step by step, From image to image, from thought to thought, here a little, there a little, he must bring me into conformity with the image of Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, the perfect Savior. And through that image, being made like Christ, I am prepared to be with Christ and to be like him forever in glory, in perfection. Now that's what spiritual life is all about, being made a new creation, Paul says, A new creation so that I may glorify God again and have restored to me that which sin took away. Oh, that we and I, that you and I would realize how tragic it is to ever live for anything less than this purpose. My dear friends, dear boys and girls, teenagers, this is the only reason to live on this world. To glorify God. And until we find our purpose of creation back through the saving work of the Holy Spirit, we are now truly living. Yes, we have a physical body. Yes, we're breathing. But we're not spiritually alive. We're dead. We're dead. Not just sick. We're dead in trespasses and in sins. You must be born again. You must be a recipient. Of the saving work of the Holy Spirit. You must come to true faith and repentance before God. You must have the purpose of your creation return to glorify God. Otherwise, you fail in everything. We fail in exercising dominion over the earth for God's glory. Because we try to use possessions for our own glory. You see, we fail in everything. We destroy the image of God in its narrow sense, we mutilate it in its broader sense, and we disobey every commandment of God. That's man by nature, self destructive. But man by grace is built back up to be reflecting the glory of God. And therefore, it is only in Christ that you and I, by the Spirit, can be made again into what God has designed us to be and be fit for that heavenly paradise from which we can never break away and in which perfection will dwell forever. Oh, may God help us to seek that glory and to truly live. And the Lord God formed man of the dust Of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils. The breath of life. And man became. A living soul. Glorified. Dignified. Apex of God's creation. Created. After all the other items were there. The six days. Created. To fill the palace of creation. Was made by God. From the dirt of the earth. He who was made with glorious dignity. Was made from profound lowly earth. Dirt. God brings dust and glory together. In the creation of Mankind. And it is these two interdependent things, dust and glory, that are mutually understand, necessary to understand, to grasp who man is. As we came forth from the hand of God, we came forth both with an infinite lowliness made of the dust of the earth and an infinite dignity made in the image of God. Yes, we are both dust and glory. Why dust? Or actually, literally, as the original has it, red earth. Why dirt? That's from where Adam got his name, probably. Adam, Adama, red earth, dirt. Why would God do that? Why would he make man so dignified? Would he make us of the dust of the earth? Well, dust, dirt, conveys three messages. In the first place, it conveys our lowly origins. Our lowly origins. Being made of dirt ought always to remind us That we are not God. That even though we are created with dignity and with glory and as the apex of creation, we have reason to be humble because we were made of the dirt of the earth. Great Creator stooped. And He took some dirt. And He made you and me. And then He takes a rib out of His creation. And makes the woman. You see, God took the humblest of things, one little rib, and makes the woman. He took the humblest of things to make the apex of his creation. To remind the apex of his creation that he is but man, even though he is dignified man. And that's just the balance we need. Especially post fall When Adam came to God, or whether Abraham came into the presence of God, you remember what he said. Who am I that I should come into the presence of God who am but dust before thee? The whole Bible is filled with that, actually. If you take a concordance and you look up the word dust, you'll find all kinds of references to man. We are but dust, congregation. Dust thou art, and because of our fall, unto dust shalt thou return again. To keep us low. To keep us humble. To keep us approaching God. Our creator. With a sense of the dignity of our own creation. The sense we have that we must reflect his image not only. But also the sense we have of awe and reverence for him. Now you see our great problem today. Is that we are prone to err on one side or the other. Modern man is prone to see his dignity. And ignore that he is dust, or he's prone to see that he's dust, and ignore his dignity. And when we see our dignity, but we ignore that we are dust, we play God. We act like we're God. We think we're the most important people walking around on the face of the earth. That's natural man. He thinks that his dignity is in belonging to himself. He doesn't see his dignity as in belonging to his creator. But there's other people who see themselves only as dust. And they don't see the dignity, the value of their soul. And they treat their soul with disdain. They treat their lives as if they're not valuable. As if their soul isn't worth anything. And they destroy themselves through sin, through not caring, through seeing themselves as a mere product of evolution. Or through some other problem in their upbringing. But they treat themselves... Like they have no soul, like they have no dignity, like they are not God's masterpiece, created to reflect the glory of God. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed Theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beeky's life's work at heritagebooks.org slash RST4. Dear friend, how are you living? When you pray to God. Do your prayers reflect a sense of that dignity and that dust that you are? Do you come to him with dignity, with reverential language, with a sense of who you are created after his image? one? Of whom he can say, I want my image back in you. Do you realize that as you approach to God? But do you also realize that you are but dust. Fallen dust. Sinful dust. And so do you come like Abraham? Who am I to come? Who am but dust and ashes? Yet I must come. For thou hast invited me to come. In Christ. And I I am created after thy image. There is a warrant to come. In Christ. Who invites sinners. But that warrant is rooted back already in our being created after the image of God where we had a right to commune with God. and Though we forfeited you see, Christ has re-earned that right. He restores that right. And so we have a right as God's apex of creation to come to God in the dignity of our creation as dust, sinful dust, and cry out, O Son of David, have mercy on me. But well, postfall, dust also has another meaning. It's not only a symbol of our lowliness, it's a symbol of frustration. The dust is a symbol in Bible, in the Bible, of defeat and humiliation. Satan, who was a great figure in heaven before he mysteriously fell. Received the punishment, didn't he, in Genesis 3, that he would crawl upon his belly and eat the dust of the earth. He had his first taste of dust when God clothed Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 and didn't destroy them as Satan desired. Satan had to eat the dust of God. In humiliating defeat. He thought when he would get Adam and Eve to fall, he thought he would destroy the apex of God's creation. And God found a way for fallen man to be saved like he did find for the angels fallen angels that too is just sheer grace but satan of course really had to eat the dust at golgotha where he engineered everything to promote Christ's death and then found out to his dismay that he had been unwittingly instrumental in furthering God's great plan of redemption so that the head of the Messiah, the foot of the Messiah, rather, the heel crushed the head of the serpent and destroyed Satan and made him grovel in the dust of defeat. Well you see, sin is a symbol of defeat, of dust, of despair. And what God says to fallen mankind is that even though you are made of dust, And even though you have sinned your way and become fit to be cast away with Satan into the dust of despair in the abyss of damnation forever, I have found a way to restore to you the dignity you have lost in Jesus Christ. Do remember you are but dust. Do remember you are totally dependent upon me. Do remember that apart from my grace... You can do nothing but defeat yourself. Be led to nothing but frustration and defeat and despair and humiliation. And then thirdly, dust is a symbol of death. That is, of course, ultimately for the unbelievers, post-fall, their ultimate frustration. Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return again. From smallness to frustration. From frustration to death. That's the picture of the natural man. The natural man enters this world. He destroys himself. He frustrates himself with sin. He shows himself to be sinful dust. And he brings upon himself death. And he goes down into the abyss of eternal separation from God's favor. But for the believer it's different. Because of Christ. Because of Christ who could say, You have laid me, thou hast laid me, O God, into the dust of death. Because of Christ, whose tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth and was laid in the dust of death, he conquered even the dust of death. So that believers' death may be a passageway into life eternal. And so that believers may be remade, recreated, Gloriously. In a dignified way. Even more dignified than their original creation. Because in that creation they could yet fall. But in the recreation there is no chance of falling. They may enter the joy of their Lord. In that unfallable state of glory. Never to partake of dust again. But forever to glorify. A faithful and a triune creator. Well, friends, the wonder of our first creation ought to make us hanker after the wonder of God's recreation. And we ought to say, if God can make us so gloriously and so dignified in the first, he can restore us in the second in the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friends, there is no other way to be restored than through that Savior. You heard that this morning. You hear that in every sermon. You and I are dust. You and I shall return to the dust. We shall be raised on the great day. And we shall go down into the dust of hell if we are not born again. For unconverted man, it's a dark picture. What is there but death? and More death. Past weeks we've grieved again as in America, haven't we, over all the death that was involved in the World Trade Towers collapse. 2,823 people dying in a moment. Oh, so much death. But there was much more death in that very day, in that very year, than the World Trade Towers. people died last year in the United States alone. 56 million people died in this world last year alone. And in Africa, 1 million children died of malaria last year alone. 2,379 every day. Almost as many as died. Die every day as died. In the World Trade Towers, Just the children of Africa. From one disease. And 2,300,000 Africans died last year alone from AIDS. We are living in a dying world. Man is dust. Dust thou art, my friend. My 80-year-old friend. And unto dust thou shalt soon return. And dust thou art, my dear child. My five-year-old child. And unto dust shalt thou return. Oh, you must be born again. Without the cross, without the Savior, there is no hope for fallen man, created with dignity and glory, but destroyed himself. You see, it is sin that causes every collapse, not just the, not just the world trade towers, but every collapse is rooted in our sin, in our fallenness, in our Dustiness. Sinful dustiness. We are sinful filth in the sight of God. But Jesus has come just for sinners. Not for himself. He he knew no sin. He was righteous. He set up the cross so that sinners might be saved from eternal dust. My dear friend, Are you under that cross? Are you living by that cross? Does your life exemplify that cross? Can you say with the Apostle Paul, in Galatians 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beeky. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.